Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, this is Alexis Haynes. Join me every Monday for a new episode of my podcast, Recovering from Reality. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self-care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness, I'm here to deliver intimate conversations and expert insights to empower you on the road towards authentic wellness. So are you ready to recover from reality? friends and welcome to the papaya podcast i'm your hostess trying her mostest sarah nicole and each week i'm going to be dishing out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom or something like that so get ready to get inspired get candid get real because we are all in this digital space together All right, everyone, welcome back. Today is going to be a spicy episode, and I mean that in the best way possible. Because last week, I guess when you're listening to this, it'll be two weeks ago, a certain someone made a post talking about if thin white women were taking up the space of the body positive movement, removing and whitewashing essentially this body positive movement meant for marginalized bodies rooted in so much more history than I don't think many of us even realized. And I think everyone was expecting me to be offended, but instead I was actually incredibly empowered by this. And it's going to change a lot of the ways that we have these conversations. So welcome, Rafaela. She is the poster herself. She is the person that we are going to have. And truly, like guys, everyone thinks that this was like such a shame cycle. And I didn't feel that. I actually feel like this opened up doors of conversation. She's a disruptor. She's blown up on social media for this in good ways and in bad. And I'm so happy to welcome her to the podcast today. So Rafaela, welcome. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Sarah, for having me here. I am so grateful that you're using your voice to amplify others. Yeah. And this whole thing, like I know it originally started in your stories and You can tell because at the end of it, you're like, I need to take a break. Like I clearly went off a little (laughs) there. There was a bit of anger in what you were doing, but I don't see it as like unjustified anger. It almost seemed like exhaustion. And I want you to kind of share like what originally got you to the point that you were like, I got to say something about this and put it into your stories, which created this conversation. 
Yeah, I had just gotten back from therapy and I think I opened my explore page and the first thing I saw was someone's post who was thin and white and it was them kind of distorting their body to appear as if they were larger in size that they were and trying to like normalize the conversation around bodies. And I just looked at that and I looked at their account and saw the hundreds of thousands of followers. And I was just like, okay, I'm so tired of this. And I went on my stories to talk to my very small community of friends and family just to express my frustrations that I've been experiencing over the years of my advocacy in terms of like body image and fat acceptance. And I just said like, guys, I'm so tired of this. And my initial slide, I admit, was a little provocative. Mm. But I mean, I guess it's not anything I don't want to really say. So I started off that way and then getting into it and I looked at more influencer accounts and saw, okay, so many people are doing this and they have massive platforms. Why can I not be heard as well? Like I've been in this space for a couple of years. I really just want to use my voice to help people. And we're only seeing one type of person being displayed on our timelines and telling of everyone that they can love their bodies no matter what. And when I try to relay a similar message or speak up for more marginalized people, no one's listening. No one mm. cares. Mm. I get the hate comments. Yep. So you're right. It did come from a place of frustration and ultimately sadness that I saw that there was a gap. Yeah. And I think that's it. And I think that the one thing I really had to come forward with really quickly is it your post, if you read it with an open heart, was not saying thin white women have no place here. It was saying, why are they the ones being heard? And why are others not, especially knowing the roots of this movement? Now, I personally don't use the words body positive. It's all it's often labeled on me, and I've not been good enough to like correct it knowing its roots. So we'll kind of talk about the roots in a second. But the way that I perceived it and the way that I've been trying to remind others is it's not an sit down and shut up ask of the thinner identifying white women. It is a can I sit with you? Can we sit together in this space? And I think what happened and what this created, as soon as your post went up, people didn't always see that. And all of a sudden this big wall of defense went up and it was very easy to see that on one side, it was everyone defending how much they benefited from these accounts that you were speaking of, mine included. And then the other side of it saying, oh my gosh, this is what I've been feeling. Thank you for saying this. Not a lot of bridges in between being like, I really see your point here and I support both sides. It'd be really cool to see exactly what you're asking is, could we make this bigger and better and more inclusive as opposed to why is this these front runners and these individuals? And I totally get that. I will be completely honest. My only frustration lied in the fact that, and it's been the same frustration that I've had for, to be honest, years and years and years, is the fact that no matter how I share and what it is I'm sharing about, my body tends to always come down to the core of why. 
And it's a bit of a frustration because I'm like, wow, even when I saw your post, the only thing I was even frustrated about or felt, you know, a little angry about was I was like, dang it. That's what I'm seen as is just a body account. I've always been so much more than that. And I guess that was like, my only thing was like, dang it again. Like, okay, I can do, there's so much many more layers. I've been doing this for 12 years and only in the last two years have I even spoken about my body. And I understand a lot of that was like a super new relatable thing that people hadn't seen stretch marks in that way. A lot of that stuff, totally, totally get it. But yeah, like I can understand where there are certain streams of it. And when I first commented, the first thing I said was, there's two different sides of this. There's those who are kind of like in body acceptance, eating disorder recovery, diet culture recovery, diet culture dropout, say even. And then the side who's like really, it's a human rights issue. But more than that, when we talk about body positivity, can you share its roots so that maybe we can understand why this is, a word very dedicated to one group. Yeah. And everything you just said was exactly on point. So the thing that I've been learning is that body positivity, even though it sounds really misleading, it was actually founded for fat marginalized bodies specifically. Mm -hmm. So mostly Mm -hmm. marginalized bodies. And when we think about who belongs within that category, it's people of color, it's fat people, it's disabled people, Mm -hmm. perhaps even like transgender people, queer people. And that has been so lost. Like if Mm -hmm. you go to the hashtag right now, body positivity, and you scroll, you're going to see, I mean, you can go find out, but in my opinion, you'll typically see thin white women Mm -hmm. who have massive privilege in society Mm -hmm. using this space for themselves. And It's so interesting. I've been having a lot of conversations about what does body positivity even mean, which is so interesting because that's not even what my post was about, right? It wasn't even about, you can use this, you can't use this. It was about, as you said, bringing more people to the table. Like, hey, come sit with me Mm -hmm. instead of, hey, get out of my way, right? Yes. And so it's been really interesting to see this movement that was supposed to be for marginalized bodies to be accepted in society and treated as equals and Mm -hmm. treated with respect turn into, oh, I can love my cellulite, I can love my stretch marks, and then I can put on clothes and go out into society and be treated as an equal as everyone else Mm -hmm. and not receive any discrimination. Mm -hmm. And it's so hard because I even said in my post, so you're right, it's like if people or being defensive, I also say, go back and read it really carefully. Mm-hmm. Because I tried to make a point to say, self-love is for everyone. Absolutely. Everyone, no matter your shape, size, color. We live in a very fat-phobic, diet-culture-based society that we can't really escape from. And we've been told that our bodies are not good, and we need to spend money on all these products and services in order to be happy and loved and worthy And everyone deserves to have their voices heard in this space, to talk about their insecurities, Mm -hmm. their eating disorders, Mm -hmm. everything that you just mentioned. Everyone does deserve that space. And I've gotten probably the most hate about that saying like, oh, but what about thin people and thin privilege doesn't exist? And it's been difficult because it's like, no, 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 this isn't where I'm going. It's not that you don't deserve to go on a self-love journey or you don't have the right to feel bad about yourself because of your privilege. It's just saying, what about the original voices of the movement? Where are they? I don't know. Like, even if you look at your Instagram, you don't see them. It's not just 
It's not like, oh, we have everyone together currently. Mm-mm. It's been taken over completely. And right. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say this because when I was allowing myself to sit in that, privilege is such a word that everyone kind of like has this weird discomfort with. But I really like Brene Brown. I'm such a fan of, but she talks a lot about getting comfortable with discomfort and being uncomfortable. And we've actually had an entire podcast episode about getting comfortable being uncomfortable when it talks to race and privilege. And so much we learned there. But these are two quotes that really made the most sense to me and made me kind of have I guess I have a lot of grace because I know that how I responded two years ago was so different to how I respond this week. And these two quotes are something that really kind of helped. The first one is, and I don't know who they're written by, so I'm so sorry for stealing their work, but privilege is when you think something is not a problem because it's not a problem to you personally. And I think that, now this is not the quote, but I think that for me, the big part of it was that our feelings and our experiences are so valid. Like they are so beyond valid. There is so much room in this. This is not a time and place to kind of silence anybody or anybody's experiences whatsoever. But knowing the amount, like I was just talking to you before the podcast began, knowing the amount of like actual pages dedicated to fat shaming, the amount of human rights issues that are there when it comes to like they're not getting proper medical care. They're not being treated the same way in society. If we actually look at where a lot of this comes from, it comes from that stigma. It actually reinforces the issues. And it also comes a lot of into impoverished areas. So to consider that this is not even just a weight issue in the regards to how you may personally feel about fat in and of itself, There's no consideration for personal trauma. There's no consideration for mental health. There's no consideration for actual health issues that lend themselves these ways. And there's also no consideration for the fact that this might come down to access and affordability. And that's a really, really big pill to swallow. And the second quote that I found, which is why I think so many felt silenced by what was being said. And it goes, when you are accustomed to privilege, equality feels like oppression. And I was like, dang, that's what it is. It's that for the first time we've heard what equality should be. And all you were asking was, can we share this space? And it felt to so many as a sit down and shut up. It felt like oppression and it felt so like blood boiling bad because it's something that we're not used to. So I don't know, coming from all of that and knowing kind of where we sit with privilege and knowing how far this goes, how are you doing in the sense of now kind of being considered this activist for privilege? Are you ready for it? Are you feeling good about it? How has it been going for you? Because I think we need to hear that. It's been so hard, Sarah, because as I previously said, I just made a post for my friends. I was not expecting all of this backlash or all, even all the love, I didn't push the viral button. It was out of my control. Right. So overwhelmed is the overarching feeling. Yes. And then there's like anxiety, (laughs) which is also super high because I have such a passion for trying to help people. Right. And then it became kind of an attack and focus on me as a human. And I'm like, Mm. whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) This isn't about me. This is about people who don't have a voice. And even I would say before this moment, I didn't feel like I had a voice, right? right? Like I have been talking about this before, 
no one's been listening right like, other than my friends but so now I'm like okay now that people are listening to me I have to do exactly what I'm saying I have to take the mic use it to gain traction and speak my truth and then I gotta pass it along yes so it's been me just trying to like navigate the situation and it's been interesting because as you said talking about privilege when I get those negative or hate comments at first I was taken back like whoa 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 but then I kind of realized when you challenge someone's point of view or worldview it's so uncomfortable as Mm, you said and mm -hmm. people do not know how to sit in their discomfort and so I feel like they're going straight to anger and defensiveness to kind of distance themselves from that emotion of discomfort. So I'm like, I have empathy for you as I'm reading these comments. This is really uncomfortable. It's challenging something that perhaps you hold dear to your heart. Right. And I'm going to come to you with love and compassion instead of my own defensiveness and aggression. Which I got to say made all the difference because I know you didn't have to do this, but you opened yourself to literally every single person you tagged in that post. And you and I, like I came to you and I said, what can I be doing that's better? And I wasn't scared of that conversation with you, but I was braced. I think I was braced for abrasiveness because you can't sense tone in written word. And then we started exchanging notes and voice memos. And I was like, oh my God, I love this human. Like she actually cares about me as a person and I care about her as a person. And everyone's expecting us to be enemies in this space. And yet we're like sending each other pictures of the pancakes we're eating. And like, it just happened (laughs) so fast. But I was like, it was so, I was talking to another friend and And I said, you know what? I still don't know if calling out specific names was the right course of action. I still don't know that. And she said to me, but would have it disrupted you in the way it did if it hadn't been? And I was like, right. I'm used to being praised. I'm used to being congratulated on the work. And I'm used to being told how important it is. So to be told that it wasn't enough even that's not what you were saying, but that was like kind of that feeling when you kind of feel like you're never going to be able to be enough, that feeling really overwhelmed me. But I don't know that I would have been disrupted had my name not been pulled into it, had I not had that opportunity to make my first non-podcast post about this. I mean, I've shared a lot of work of like your fat friend and, you know, other accounts that I really find that educate people from a standpoint of like, realizing how huge stigma is in this world. But I think that you were a disruptor. And I know that that is still, and many people are still kind of of that stance of, I don't think it was the right thing to call people out, but I don't know that it would have made a difference if we hadn't. And that's such an interesting point because I'm getting those responses as well. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, I hear what you're saying, but publicly shaming these people, calling them out, embarrassing them. And oh my God, when I got those comments, I was like, oh my God, what did I do? What did I do? So I hurt these people. And so I immediately was like, I need to go talk to them. But then I thought about it. If I would have tried to message each influencer individually, Mm -hmm. like prior to a post, I wouldn't have gotten a response. With 9,000 followers, you get lost at the bottom of the request pool. Oh yeah. It literally ranks you by how many followers you have. It drives me nuts. Exactly. Which I realized now that I, oh my gosh. So that I, Seeing this, I'm like, I understand and I do feel bad about 
publicly posting someone's picture without their consent, like, yeah, that is actually massively not cool. And I also see that this would have not had the same impact Mm. or it would probably wouldn't have gone anywhere Mm -hmm. if I tried to do this in private. Right. And I think that there is some degree of the responsibility of the audience, because in what you were saying, you were actually congratulating them on having the work. You're congratulating them on, you kind of said like, good for them. Like, I'm so happy that they're making money, that they're doing this, but like, could we not do more to like pass the mic? That's kind of how it started was this, can we not pass the mic a little bit? So this is where it comes into like a little bit of an interesting conversation because it's been asked of me a lot. Why is it my responsibility to elevate other platforms when I, my story is my story and people follow for that story. Why is it the responsibility of others to elevate platforms that are not their own? Maybe you can kind of dive into why that might be important and where the line you personally feel can be drawn for those that maybe don't have the capacity as an activist, but still want to be able to do some of the work, still be a support in many different ways. I feel the same way when it comes to, we talk about privilege of money and stuff. And we're always like support small and support small. And people are like, I can't afford it. I can't afford to support small. And you're like, okay, there's other ways to do it. You can share their posts. You can like mention them in your stories. There's other ways, there's other ways. So I kind of want to hear from you in terms of what you're actually asking, not being necessarily, you have a platform, therefore this is what you should be doing, but more so maybe some interesting thought-provoking stuff. So I don't know. I'm going to let you carry that for a second. Yeah, Sarah, that's a massive point as well that I've also been receiving is, well, why is it their job? They're doing something really great. Why are you asking them to do more? And I thought on it and I said, you know what? It's not their job. Like it's, I'm not saying like, hey, you didn't do this thing you're supposed to be doing. Why aren't you doing it? For me, it's like as a privileged community, I feel like we should be Mm. stepping up. Mm -hmm. So you know what? Everyone could continue on with their lives and their privileged lives and ignore marginalized groups like how we have been doing. Yep. But there's that should, there's that desire like, okay, if you have it in your heart that you want to help other people and you want to acknowledge that there's voices other than just our own, yep. then this is the work that we need to do. And like for me personally, it feels like a need. It feels like a must. It feels like a should. Maybe other people don't feel as drawn into that yet. Right. But the biggest thing, and I've been speaking actually with a lot of people of color in this space since my post kind of blew up Mm -hmm. being like, oh my God, I need your voice in this because that's the voice that really matters. And a big thing that I collected from them was they said, thank you as a white person for speaking up because white people want to listen to other white people. Yeah. They don't want to listen to the Black women who's been expressing this for so long. I cannot even imagine being a person of color and feeling so passionate and feeling just all the discrimination and I don't even know the words, just the inequality in society against you constantly. And then when they try to speak up and try to speak up and scream into the abyss and no one's listening, I can see that white women are like, oh, there's the angry black person, right? Because they're right. not being heard. How they, could you it's not almost righteous be anger. angry? Yeah. Right? It's yeah. like, I'm an angry white person, but they're going to listen to me because it's more palatable. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Because you can look at me and say, oh, she looks like me. She's like one of us, quote unquote. 
I can listen to her because her worldview is like mine. Right. I think when you view someone as other, your walls go up and you right. just stop. You stop living. relating. There's something really ingrained in us to want to follow people that we reflect by and that we feel experiences with. We feel so connected because we're like, yes, that's me. That was my experience. That's how I felt when I kind of first started in this because I felt so alone in my body. I didn't know that other women existed with bodies like mine who had stretch marks in a postpartum form like I had. And I realized that that work is not nothing. Like that actually was incredibly important for so many women. But in a conversation that I had from an account called Artie Speaks. She sent me a message today and we were talking about this post that another woman made that I'll touch on in a moment. I told her that I was reading Glennon Doyle's book and how there was this incredible chapter in it on race and it really just hit the nail for me. And she said, did you find that it was more palatable for you because it came from a white woman? And I was like, huh, I don't even know. But I guess maybe, and I also felt Like it was nice hearing it from somebody who I knew it wasn't the emotional labor of, that they were actually coming from a place of teaching what they learned. So there's this post by Mo Motivate and it was called White Fatigue is Violent. So like, hello, hear that. And you're just like, crap, (laughs) not a great thing, but I'll do the start and the end of her post. She said, it's frustrating to hear white women complain of how hard anti-racism work is how it's hard, uncomfortable, and overwhelming to do this anti-racism work. Most either give up or scale back to do what's easy and comfortable. And then at the end, she goes by on like to explain why this is like historically an issue and then goes on to say, instead of focusing on how this work makes you feel, focus on why this work must be done daily. This work must be done to end the rationalized violence against people of color repair the centuries of harm done and redistribute power and resources so we can all live fully in our humanity. Do the work daily. And I think that when we hear do the work, we don't consume that. We consume it as I'm going to have to go stand outside with signs. I'm going to have to like do all this stuff. And there's a bit of a line of like, oh my gosh, now I need to go make friends with like this whole community. And then it becomes tokenism a little bit too. I think it can be, this is my opinion. I'd love to hear yours. I think it can be as simple as just starting to follow and listen, not having to like be like, yes, girl, yes. I'm like every single post, but like, just sit and listen, just listen for like two seconds. How do you view good first steps for especially white women? We can bring in the thin thing as well, but just even bringing it down to that core thing. And you are also a white woman. How can we start taking those steps? Knowing that fatigue may come, And knowing that it's got to be a bit of more daily decision to kind of be better at allyship. What does that look like? Honestly, it's going to be a journey. It Mm. is a marathon, not a sprint. Yes. And for me, since this post kind of blew up, I've been sprinting Mm. and I'm so tired. I'm emotionally, mentally just wiped. And so people are coming to me and they're saying, okay, I do care. I never saw this gap before what can I do to help? And I say, you're doing it right now. First of all, you're noticing, oh my God, there's a problem. I didn't even realize this. And maybe sitting in that discomfort and then you're asking, what can I do? How can I help? And I don't want people to feel overwhelmed and say, you have to go this, 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 and go save the world all by yourself. Mm. It's like, no, if we all do our part, and as you said, on the daily 
we can make massive moves. So yeah, first of all, realize what's happening. Acknowledge your feelings, the discomfort, perhaps even the privilege you experience. Mm -hmm. And then ask someone. If it's Googleable, I suggest Googling it first to kind <laughs> of help out your fellow activists who are really doing the dirty work right now, especially people of color who've been doing this work forever. Yeah. And then I say, okay, today you talk to me. Maybe tomorrow you look at the people I've highlighted and go follow someone that you connect with within right. the fat community or a person of color or someone whose view is just different than yours. Mm -hmm. And then maybe the day after that, maybe you share a post of theirs that really speaks to you, right? Like it can be a slow progression. It's not, we can't get there in one day. And I think that that's so important because I don't think that these people suddenly want to be heard and splashed all over thin white women's social media because we're like trying to band-aid solution something. I don't think that that's the right answer because I think that in following them, you need to start listening and you need to give yourself time to get that connection and to learn and digest, then start sharing their work and then start like being better at things like that. That's kind of how I've been approaching. And the one thing that people often ask like, well, who do I follow? There's actually a built-in tool on Instagram that when you find one person who might be of that, so like find it from one suggestion or in your own searches, find that one person. Today, I found a body positive woman of color and as soon as I click that follow button, what pops up below? Literally dozens of options. And I was like, oh, wow. They just curated a little. They see now this is what I'm looking for. This is what we have to do. We actually have to start tricking the algorithm because the algorithm is only going to show you the things that you want. And that's not necessarily our fault. So we have to kind of start seeking it out a little bit. And I had one person explain to me, she's like, it's the same way. Like, why do you never see advertisements for uh, makeup tutorials on a black woman. Well, that's because you only really Google like what Jennifer Aniston does for her face. You do what's relatable to you. And so the social media AIs process this as this is what you want to see. So you actually have to start going and looking for it and starting to like trick the AI a little bit, but there's actually something built in right there in order to help us. And I didn't even realize like that it could actually be that easy. And yeah, so that was like a really interesting thing. And I think a really great tool that so many people can use, but I want to kind of get into three little tidbits. One, why are we allowed to say fat and why is that okay? Because a lot of people got hella mad at me for saying it. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Let's talk about that. Is fat okay? Are we allowed to say the word fat and why are we saying it? That's a really great point. And I didn't even think about it until someone mentioned it to me. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh, I guess that was deemed as like a bad word for a very long time. Yeah. And in your bubble, and you're probably like, oh, well, this is this, this is the shit we sling all the time. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Exactly. And I think I compare it to like other marginalized groups who have a term that's been used against them forever mm -hmm. and reclaiming that word and saying, hey, this thing that I've been called to like bring me down actually isn't a bad word. So the term fat, I've been called fat my whole life. Mm. I hated that word. I saw it as very negative. I had major, major internalized fat phobia growing up. Obviously I still do. And I'm working on that every day, but now I'm learning that that's not a bad word. Mm -hmm. My body being larger than someone else's body isn't inherently wrong. Mm. It's just not a moral. A it's not morally wrong. No. Exactly. That's the thing. It's, I am not a bad person because of my body. It's okay to say that my body is fat 
it's okay to say that I identify within the fat community Mm. because there's nothing wrong. I think a major thing for me has been like the destigmatization of the word fat. I would never, ever refer to myself as fat even maybe six months ago. And now joining the community and feeling empowered by all these amazing people willing to take up space. I'm like, I feel empowered using the term fat Mm. because it connects me to all these amazing people who are speaking their truth. Mm -hmm. And I think that you and I were talking the other day in terms of like consent of the word. And I think that one thing I've really noticed is take a key from what it is that they're saying themselves. If in their bio, they describe themselves as like a fat woman, a fat body positive, or if they say plus size creator, maybe respect the words that they're using for themselves. Some say curvy, some say, and curvy can mean a ton of different things. So like, that's a really, but I think that we can take some cues from them without being like, oh, I love your fat body. And then being like, what the hell? <laughs> like that could exactly. still come, that could be traumatic for somebody if you weren't paying attention to their own personal cues on that, right? So makes a lot of sense. Thanks for touching on that. Number two, another doozy, the word gluttony has been identical. Well, I don't even know this is the question. I saw this in the post the other day, but it, this conversation often comes up that like those who exist in larger bodies are just lazy and gluttonous and gluttony is a sin. If you follow those moral guidelines, gluttony is a sin, but gluttony, we don't talk about gluttony in the sense of like the rich white man who evades his taxes. I, I read this from somebody's post and I wish I could quote who, but I was like, dang, that's the first time I've ever heard gluttony referred to in things much more than a body. And yet we've made it a moral sin of the body, but we haven't caught a conversation about it in that way. And I have yet to meet somebody who exists in a larger body who actually adopts a gluttonous lifestyle. Most of them, it is so much more than that. And regardless, it's not really for us to answer. It's for us to respect them. I don't think that even if it comes down to like you morally disagree with how they live their life, can you still respect them? Like, can you still have respect for another human body without any context to them looking the way that they do? And I think that this is a difficult thing for so many because we've been trained to think otherwise. Yes. And as you said that, i looked up the post. Oh, good. It's you, by you know what I'm Stephanie talking about. Yeboa. I do not want to say that wrong. Yeboa? Yeboa? I'm so sorry, Stephanie. I just wanted to give her like good, some credit good. there because that was her post. And yes, you're so right. And even if someone disagrees perhaps with someone else's lifestyle or what they're doing, it comes down to respect. Mm-hmm. It comes down to, I see you as a human being. Yes. And you deserve equality and you deserve equality in healthcare and mm. just in life, wherever you go, you deserve to be treated like a human being and not just what your body may appear as to others. And ultimately, that's what privilege is. Right. It's about how the world perceives you, not how you perceive yourself. Right. Right. That is such a good point because that's exactly what it comes down to is like, I can still, and this is kind of why when I made that first post, I'm like, I might have the deepest of insecurities when it comes to what lives underneath my clothes, 
but I can still walk out the front door. I can hop on a bus and comfortably sit in a seat because it's designed to fit a body like mine. I can walk into any store that I've ever been in and be able to shop there because I'm still straight size, meaning that I fit within like the zero to 12 realm of sizing. So it's not a common issue for me, but I used to live, I used to exist in a, in a larger body. I know, I know, I remember. But yet for years, I think what happened was you want acceptance so bad. And I've talked about why I think I chased weight loss so strongly was not because I wanted to look differently and feel differently. I wanted to be accepted because society would finally dress me, would finally let me sit in the same spaces. I could get on a roller coaster and not panic if another person could sit beside me. Airplanes are a different story. I mean, I didn't really fly before, but airplanes were a different story. Everything was different. The way people treat you is entirely different. So yes, my insecurities are completely valid, but yes, I can roll up my yoga pants and walk out the door and be treated the exact same way. So it is two different conversations between how we perceive ourselves and how the world perceives us. And I'm so glad you made that clarification. That was like one of the things that we were talking about the other day. And I was like, please don't forget to say that in the podcast. <laughs> so thanks for remembering. Could I be vulnerable with you and give you a quick example? Do we have time for that? Yeah, girl, go for it. What do we have? Yes, we've got another five minutes. Have at it. Okay, I'll be quick. I'll be quick. So I feel like sharing personal experiences can really help solidify these points that we're making mm -hmm. and really make it feel tangible to people. So in regards to privilege, because i that's probably the biggest thing right now is what's the privilege? There's no privilege. It's for everyone. And so I haven't been public about this, but it's time. It's so time. We need to destigmatize everything. Okay. I was recently diagnosed with an eating disorder mm -hmm. called atypical anorexia. Oh, wow. And a lot of people have not heard of that. I've not heard I of it. I've never heard of that, right? And the atypical part just means you have all the requirements of standard anorexia nervosa, but without the requirement of a low weight or being quote unquote underweight. Oh. So that's me. And I didn't know it existed until a couple months ago when my psychiatrist brought it up to me. And I realized I've had it my entire life and I struggled my entire life. And I'm at a hard point. I feel like when people speak about mental illness or mm -hmm. eating disorders, they mm -hmm. assume you're in recovery. Mm -hmm. I am very much not in recovery. I'm right. very much in the trenches of this eating disorder. And I've been very quiet because of the shame of having an eating disorder in a bigger body. Mm. So the health police come out and they say, oh, well, it's okay. As long as you're healthy, as long as you're healthy. Right. right. We've all heard that. And the thing is, so my problem is like restricting food. Right. And in order for me to be healthy or to be healthier and wanting to work on myself, I need to eat more. Right. That could result in weight gain. Mm. And I think about just the way I would be treated by society, that I'm lazy, that I'm useless, that I can't control myself. I need to be healthy. If I continue to restrict, I could maintain my weight or lose weight and be praised by society. And people can tell me, how great I look and what a great job I'm doing. And that hurts me so much to my core because how could what's good for me and my body be what's completely seen as horrible to the outside world? Yeah. And that's what privilege is. That's well, yeah. that's one aspect of it is I don't have that privilege of my internal views matching societal views, mm -hmm. right? 
Yeah. And I super relate with that because that was a difficult point in my own life is when I had lost the weight and knew that I had to gain it. I wasn't scared about it on my body. It again, came down to this acceptance. And I, and I have to say, I think this is where parents come in a lot in terms of the way they talk about bodies around their children and how we talk about ourselves and, and normalize, you know, fat phobic conversations. It's because I honestly do think, and I'd love to talk to like an actual psychologist about this, but I think it's because we don't want them to face the backlash of society and that unacceptance that we know exists. And I think once we recognize that that might be the why, it changes a lot. Because for me, my meals were wrapped around how many calories they would be. My exercise was around erasing food. There wasn't a lot of room for like, I actually want to move my body. I actually want to like eat because this actually makes me feel better. You know, someone the other day was like, why are you, I had like a sugar-free candy and they were like, why are you promoting a diet food? And I was like, but you perceive it as diet food because it's lower in sugar. I'm perceiving it as I'm not eating as much sugar. Sugar actually gives me headaches. Sugar makes me not sleep as well. This is actually a choice that is loving to my body. It has nothing to do with my weight, has nothing to do with losing it, but yet this perception kind of continues. And I want us to kind of leave on this note of what you touched on a moment ago, this glamorization of health and this over-concern of health how can we address it in a way? Because this is what my DMs have been flooded with. I actually had one person come to me and she said, you know, I really liked your post at first until I realized that you were promoting obesity. And I was like, I was promoting human respect and I was promoting human rights. And I realized that this is the backlash. I receive it. You know, I've received it having a medium-sized body. I know that those who exist in larger bodies receive it every single day. What do we do? What do we do to kind of combat this conversation around health? We've already talked about some of the whys, but really like, is there something that we can do? Do you have any tools that you've picked up along the way? Yeah. Like I'm working with a dietitian right now who Mm -hmm. works from a framework of health at every size. Yes. Saying that health can be achieved at every size. It doesn't mean everyone is healthy at every size. It's achievable at every size. Yes. And It's been amazing to work from that framework of, oh, health doesn't look one way. Mm. You can absolutely never, never look at someone and determine their health. No. Absolutely never. And BMI is BM bullshit. I remember the days of playing Wii Fit and you step on that board and it tells everyone they're obese. And that's just not, that's just not it. And even if someone is unhealthy, why is that one, your business? Mm. And two, why does someone's health determine their worth? Mm. Yeah, People because look at those illnesses in-, in any body size. Yeah, and- imagine we walked up to cancer patients or somebody with like autoimmune diseases and we're like, you're worthless to me because you have this. We don't do that. We don't be like, but your health. We're more concerned about those who exist in larger bodies for their health without really explaining why. And we can't really say because it's like crushing our medical system or anything like that because they're not even getting proper health care. So how can it really be blamed on that? And yes, there is a lot of statistics around obesity and diabetes and things like that. And you know, a lot of people who eventually go into what I like to call more weight release. So once they kind of reach what their healthy at every size thing is, and knowing that that might be a fluctuation, it might go up, it might go down, that weight might release from their bodies. They might find they have less joint pain. They might find that their health improves. But that's also one scenario. It's not 
all the scenarios. And I think that that is like, I think that's what I've come to learn once I've gotten past the part of me that existed in, as long as you're getting thinner, you're getting healthier and knowing that I was actually doing it in the most unhealthy ways. And yet I was praised the entire time for it. And as soon as I personally gained weight, I was kind of criticized for being lazy and like falling off the wagon, even though I was actually stepping into true health. And I think knowing this and knowing that dynamics of that, I think we can all do a lot better to listen to these stories, which is exactly the entire purpose of your original post. I have one final question before we go. How does someone like me post after this? Uh, what am I, what, <laughs> what the hell am I, I'm scared shitless. I'm not going to lie. I'm just like, huh, am I still cool? Are we still doing this? Am I, <laughs> what the hell do we do? I've been having the same thoughts. God, I'm like, it's oh scary. my God, what can, <laughs> what can we do? People even said like, oh, there's no, people of color on your profile. They're just pictures of you. I'm like, well, it's my Instagram account. Yeah. That's what I do. It's pictures yeah. of me. I have a lot it's- of, I have like this really cute cellulite butt shot. And I was like, I was planning on posting that. And now I feel a little weird about it. Cause I don't know if that's okay. <laughs> I think it's fine. And I said that to other influencers who asked, I said, no, because you are helping people. You mm. are talking about things that are still extremely stigmatized. Yeah. I think the difference is saying, yeah, look at the cellulite. And I have privilege. Yes. I don't know if you have to say that in every post. It might be a little redundant, but as long as it's something you are consistently saying, you're you're acknowledging the fact that we live in privileged bodies. Even I live in a privileged body of being a small fat, being a white person, able-bodied, cisgender, and just being aware, this is my body. My body is okay. Your body is okay. And other people need to be heard because we deem their bodies as not okay. I freaking love you. Okay. Let's wrap it up. Tell everyone where we can find you. Go see that post that we're talking about. The most controversial (laughs) thing that's happened in 2020 and literally thousands of comments and tons of reshares and very, very controversial, but let's have at it. Okay. You can find me on Instagram at my name, which is Rafaela underscore Mancuso. Do I need to spell it for them? Will they I'm going to put me? it in the caption. So don't you worry. Oh my God. Thank you. you got like, it. That's, it's a hard one. I get it's, it. Yeah. Just learned how to say your name yesterday. <laughs> you corrected really? me because I was calling you Rafaela and then you were like, yeah, that's not my name. And I was like, dang it. It's I'm, no, it's, I'm it's, classic it's okay. at that. And I love that we can say, Hey, no, that's not it. And I can, love it too. Okay. I love it. too. I love you so much. Thank you so, so much for taking this time to listen and learn. And I think we can continue to do that mm. like learning from each other yes. and just making a difference. I adore you. And, you know, I just have to say thanks again, because it wasn't your job to kind of do all this teaching and do a lot of this heavy lifting, but you were so ready for it. And I, and I know as someone who, had a really baby account for like a decade, well, between blog and to Instagram, a decade of like not being recognized or ever heard into stepping into that space. It's overwhelming and you're never really going to get it right. And I encourage you and I support you. And I really hope that we can all kind of learn from each other in a way like this. So I really appreciate the work you're doing. And I'm so happy to call you a friend. And I hope everyone takes a second, go check her out, go check out the work she's doing. And uh, we will see you next week. Bye. Thank you. 
Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find us on Instagram at the Papaya Podcast. And if you loved what you just listened to or know somebody who would, please share it. Simply screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to tag us. Last but not least, if you'd like to lend your personal support to the podcast, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be oh so grateful. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of the Papaya Podcast, and we'll see you then. Bye.